Just before we get started, the Second Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations. This includes the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai. We would also like to acknowledge the Sutsina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations and all people who make their home on Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta. But now that we've paid respects to people that were here before us, let's start the pod. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Second Act Podcast, and today's guest is Paul Langwa. Paul Langwa from the Paul Langwa Band, and uh, maybe you uh, remember him from a little band called the Tragically Hip. I'll tell you, this is incredible. This is exactly why we got into to doing these pods, is to talk to somebody who was at the pinnacle and when, uh, when he could have done anything, and literally Paul Langwa could have done just about anything, he decided to double down on his music, and uh, it's just an incredible conversation with a Canadian rock and roll legend. Yeah, this dude is basically the equivalent of like Ringo Starr in Canada. He like the Tragically Hip is a huge band to this day, despite them not being together anymore. Um, and it's just it's a very surreal to kind of see how big this pod has gone, where we can get Paul Langlois from the Tragically Hip on, and it's it's really cool. Well, and and I'm always careful around pods like this because it's it's you know you you kind of hold a guy like paul or you know scott oak or kelly rudy or some of these bigger names that we've been fortunate enough to talk to in such esteem that you kind of always want to make sure you're never let down but uh, i'll tell you paul didn't do it was just incredible he was so welcoming and and it was easy to talk to him uh, he he kind of shares a little bit of a scoop here on the Second Act podcast about uh, a song on his new album called Don't Leave Me Brother and how, while it is about Gord, it's also about a lot of other people, but he kind of talks about how, you know, meeting Gord after he got sick brought the whole thing about and, and it was just an incredible conversation. And then at the end, um, had a really, really neat kind of offline conversation with him about a couple of Tragically Hip songs and and uh, just incredible to sit down with the person that wrote those songs. It was there for the creation of so much of that music. And when I tell him about parts of those songs that mean the most to me and and, and why, and he kind of just smiles and nods and is like, yeah, no, that's that's how people react when they talk to me about those songs. And it's just incredible to, to have an hour of time with Paul Langlois. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good pod. And yeah, like I said, it's just a very surreal experience. And it like you don't hear it in in the pod but beforehand you were calling him sir a bit because it's just even for someone like you it's a very surreal experience it's someone maybe that you don't idolize but someone that you definitely look up to both just because he's in the music industry and what he's done coming from small town in ontario not so small anymore kingston but at the time it was and uh really making it big and it's just an incredible pod but without further ado here's paul langlois Oh, thanks for having me, Gord. Appreciate it. It's uh, really exciting to to sit down and talk to somebody who was, um, you know, so integral in in the soundtrack of my youth. But as I've kind of gone back and started digging in, uh, I, I wasn't I wasn't that young either. It wasn't my youth. It was it was my whole life. And I think that there's a lot of people that, um, starting at whatever age they got into music, uh, can look back on on your contributions to to their the shape of how they they listened to music in Canada, and uh, and you were a big part of that. That has to be, um, you know, looking back, that has to be a pretty incredible thing to hear people say. Uh, it really is. You know, it's it's um, it's kind of unbelievable. Um, 
you know, I have a feeling of uh, just being lucky and um, and the hip being lucky to, to um, have had the right combination of people and, you know, good friends from the same place and, you know, every little thing made a difference in, in how it went. And, um, but honestly, I forget about it. Um, unless someone mentions it, you know, if I walk downtown and someone stops me, I'm like, Oh, right. Yes. I was in the house. You know, it's, it's, it's part of me. We're still very much in touch, but, um, it's, it's, um, uh, I still can't believe it happened. Yeah, well, I, I got the idea to reach out to you, and I saw a clip on Instagram or or TikTok where I believe it was John telling a story about sitting with Rush's manager and and Rush's manager admitting that it was it was beer, hockey, and the hip that were were all things Canadian, and and he's the manager of Rush, and and that's when I thought to myself, you know, good lord, to have that effect on people, and then and then when that runs its its course. Um, through the through the series of events that led to that, uh, you still thought to yourself, um, "I'm not putting my guitar down. I'm I've still got some gas left in the tank here, and I'm going to see what what shakes out of that." And and I think that's the the incredible part of all this is um, with with all the success that you did achieve and and realize um, when you're doing it honestly for the love of the creation. Uh, all that really doesn't matter. And it's always about, you know, the next kind of idea and fleshing it out with like-minded people and, and seeing what you can create. Yeah. You know, it, it, um, it took me a while. Um, I think it took all of us a while, uh, like by a while, I mean, a couple, three years, um, of just being, you know, obviously grieving Gord, um, kind of do it on our own and you know there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm in the hip world for anything and so we just thought okay well we're done and um we didn't really even discuss it um and you know back then it was you know it was pre-covid so um it was conference calls we'd have maybe one a month and you know like zero zero enthusiasm and just kind of like hey guys you know and anyway then um we switched back to our uh, old manager jake gold who managed us for the first 17 years and then um for 17 years after that didn't and uh we had other good managers but um when we rehooked back hooked up back with him uh we started to get a little more enthusiastic of digging for hip stuff and um you know we all knew that we recorded far more than had ever been released you know for each record and so um you know just kind of gave us something to do and something to do together and something to talk about and um so then everyone you know um started wanting to do that kind of thing you know hip kind of thing and let's you know meet regularly and johnny Faye, our drummer is very good at finding uh old recordings and you know so it it gave us um a focus and and something to do and then with my music um that kind of happened by accident i got offered a gig um basically last summer so 
22, uh, closing ceremonies of uh, the Canada Games in Niagara Falls. And, you know, my wife, Joanne, just kind of was like, you got to do it. And I was like, oh, but I got to put a band together. I just, you know, this is awkward. Anyway, um, I did it. I put a band together of, of basically good buddies that I hang around with in Kingston that are all musicians that, you know, work full time in other uh, fields. But um, we did the gig and then, you know, just started thinking, OK, well, if I wrote some songs, we could do a record. And so uh, that was in August of 22. And then in September and October, um, I booked the studio for like November 8th. And so I was just under the gun. And that's the only way I can write songs is if there's a deadline. And so I just started writing uh, a bunch of songs and sending them to the band guys and uh, getting good reactions. So um, it all went from there. So now all of a sudden, I thought I was retired. And I thought that was it. And I'm lucky enough to have... Uh, you know, been in the hip and all went great except for Gord getting that fucking shit hand. And, um, you know, I just thought, okay, that's it. Um, then when I, when we recorded the record, I really enjoyed it. And so we played seven or eight festivals uh, in the summer, you know, came out early July. And, um, and I realized, um, you know, that I still like doing it. And, um, not necessarily crazy comfortable as a front man, as a singer, but um, I managed to learn a little bit about myself and, and um, a little bit about um, how to do it better. And uh, the whole key, you know, I just look back at Gord Downey's advice, you know, uh, she never knew I was going to do this, but um, just smile, just smile at the people, you know, and, uh, so, so far, so good. It's been fun. And we still practice once a week, regardless of whether we got a gig coming up or not, just to have that fun. And so, um, yeah, I'm quite happy about it. It's interesting. I, uh, so I'm, I'm out in Calgary. I'm originally from Saskatchewan and I spend the summers at a lake in Saskatchewan and the gentleman who lives across from me at the lake, uh, he was in, he was a fiddle player in Neil McCoy's band um oh. out in Asheville for a bunch of years and and eventually he he wanted to take that that step to being a front man so he quit Neil's band and he moved back to Saskatchewan and he's he's been you know a professional musician Donnie Peronto is his name he's been a professional musician with his with his fiddle and guitar and stuff and and he says that all the time that it's it, geographically it's six feet forward on the stage but metaphorically it's a million miles away from what you got comfortable doing being the front man being the focal point and i was curious about that because i mean you guys played huge crowds where you were the focus uh whether or not um you were necessarily the prime focus uh having the spotlight on you performing singing doing all those things was you've been doing it for years uh just just how uncomfortable were you and and are you how are you managing that? Because to me, it seems like uh, something like that could take the fun right out of it. Yes, you're right. Um, and it did. Um, you know, when I first, you know, something about that first gig with the band, when I didn't really have, I, I think I had two songs, original songs that we played at that gig. And it was just all these kids, you know, Canada Games, it's all teenagers. 
and it was a big outdoor uh you know venue and and um right by the falls and um you know everything sounded great and so i wasn't full of dread for that one because i was it was kind of something i was used to a bit um and i just thought none of these teenagers even know the hip almost you know <laughs> like unless they have a dad like you um you know so i was just kind of feeling like okay this is okay but then we did our next gig and we had more gigs coming up and it's just like paul langwell band and i would just be like for days before oh my god why did i ever say yes to this this is ridiculous why would i put myself in this position and so and the gig went that way too you know i mean you know i think maybe a decent gig like our first one was just a small club in kingston and then we had mariposa festival and that kind of thing and a bunch of festivals in ontario and um you know i was just like because i was so full of dread before the gigs um days and days before the gig i i just thought i have to figure this out i have to figure out how to enjoy this and um not dread it and not be bummed out about it and um so gradually i think i just in my own mind at least i got better with it i got more comfortable being in the middle um i mean yeah we played a lot of you know a lot the hip played a lot a lot clubs theaters arenas outdoor venues but i was always on well on stage right but it, i was always on the left and like i'd look at the crowd and they're all watching gord come on i mean you know they're watching all of us but they, you can really see a whole thousands of people just eyes are focused on gord of course and i love that you know because he's a guy to focus on and um so the pressure um wasn't there like it is when i'm doing a paul langwell band show when i have to step up to the mic and actually you have to host too i mean you have to i mean i don't know do i talk do i say hey how you doing do i you know do i describe songs and these are all things that i'm i'm still um trying to work out but but i did figure out pretty early on that if if you have a good time if you're having a good time don't hide it you know show the people you're having a good time if you are and then the next you know we did eight gigs over the summer the the after the first couple the last six were great and i just loved it and it's like hey i don't care i'm making music and this is who i am and this is what i look like and this is what we're doing and um the band has really helped uh as well they're very enthusiastic and and very you know pumping my tires and you know just just um it's it's a totally ideal situation for me with those guys you mentioned that you you pulled these songs together and and i've i've kind of always got the impression that the tragically hip was more of a a collaborative effort people brought bits and pieces in and you guys fleshed it out i, I think i've read that and, and seen it in a couple of interviews mm -hmm. it sounds more like you you kind of brought the bulk of this to the group what yeah, was that yeah you're you're right about the hip it was it was almost like the smaller the idea was the better it was because if you just had a little riff 
and hadn't worked out verses or chorus or anything like that. Well, the band would grab it. A song like Grace too. Um, yeah, that's a very, very band song jam, you know, and, um, you know, those songs, New Orleans is thinking, you know, all these songs, um, or a lot of them were just small ideas that some, one of us would just be like, Hey, I was playing this and seemed kind of cool the band grabs it. And, um, it was cool because it, it sort of, um, you know, I think we found our voice and our sound and, um, certainly Gord was a big part of that. And he kind of, uh, took over the lyrics, which made sense, like along with road apples and, um, just because he was better at it, but he also had to sing it. So, you know, you hand him a bunch of lyrics and he's looking at it like, what, you know, and, <laughs> um, anyway, so it was very collaborative and, um, from beginning to end. Yeah, with this one, you're right. Um, and, and it's interesting you pointed out because it is something I'm a touch uncomfortable with, but the other guys are not. Like, we know each other well, and they call me boss. I mean, they're kidding, but, you know, it's like whatever, however it works, boss, you know, or this is a great song, boss. And, you know, they're, they're like, they're helping. They're helping make these songs. There's a couple of songs where it was like, I was picturing like just a slow little moody number and it's like on fire with um, way faster and way rockier and all that kind of stuff. And I love it. You know, I love all the changes that they brought to these songs just by being themselves and, and the way they play and that kind of stuff. So I, I yeah, I mean, I write the songs um, and uh, I pay them well. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and they really, really uh, seem to, to be behind that, you know, the concept of Paul. Like they're hip fans too, right? I mean, sure. the, the concept of Paul Langwa Band is kind of like, they love it. And um, so I've just decided to, okay, I'm, I'm okay, I write the songs and, and uh, you guys seem to really 110% accept that. So, um, it's kind of against my nature, but uh, yeah, it's less collaborative. Like we're not starting with a little idea and what should we do with that? And, you know, I did that so often and so much and collaboration is just not my thing. Yeah, he says ironically um, <laughs> because it, it certainly was my thing in the hip, but um, I just prefer to get the song, write all the words, have how it goes, and then I send it to him. How, how is that different from um, not guilty and fix his head? Did you, did you bring all those ideas to those other solo albums or? I did. Yep. Um, so fix his head was just me. It was me and the engineer. So I played everything and I would really start to fix his head. It was private. I was shy. It, I was just, you know, went in for a couple of weekends in our studio in the bathhouse, which is just outside Kingston. And, um, just me and the engineer and i really wanted to figure out whether i could drum and so because i had a drum kit uh which had uh, joanne gave me uh my 30th birthday and it was an old kit of johnny's and so i had been drumming in my basement but i hadn't really tried to record um you know for a few years i'd been drumming and uh i just thought well i wonder if i could do it and then, and that's how fix this head took shape 
was like, okay, yeah, I don't mind it. I, I mean, it's no Johnny Faye or Neil Pert or anything, you know, but, um, <laughs> you know, I was keeping the, the rhythm down. And so then I just ended up adding bass. And just the more I added, the more I was like, well, I got to, you know, write a song to this, you know, and come up with words and stuff. And so that was that experience. And then a couple of years later, um, I wrote the songs and um, put a band together. One of the guys was Robbie Baker, and uh, it was so nice of him to to um, to do that for me. I didn't pay him a dime, and he came on a uh, a tour. We did a Canadian tour, thirty five days long, and twenty eight nights we played in thirty five days, and. Um, and it, it was Robbie was my guitar player. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, I wrote those songs too. And um, yeah, I guess probably because I probably wouldn't have done that if if it, I hadn't been in the hip and so collaborative that I guess my solo stuff, um, my tendency was just to write them on my own and not, and not uh, which Gordon Downey did as well. He taught me how to do it because he. He put out his first Cloak Machine Glow, um, and maybe even a second before I put out mine. And really, the the reason I did it, it was like, well, Gord is doing it, and why wouldn't I? And I think Robbie was the same way with Strippers Union and Gord Sinclair's couple solo records. And Johnny's busy playing with everybody um, on lots of different stuff. So, uh, you know, it was good for us. We were getting older, and... It was actually good that um, that Gord Downey did that, even though at the time, to be honest, um, we would have been a little bit like uh, Gord's putting a solo record out. Is it, <laughs> why? I mean, we're the hip, are we not? And anyway, but then it turned out to be kind of a good thing. You got to get your kind of yayas out as you get into your forties, and you know. Um, you know, the kids aren't grown yet, but they're getting there. And, and, um, we'd had, you know, 20 years of, of, uh, really good success. It made sense after we all let it, um, sit with us for a while. And I, I was, I was looking at, like you say, Robin Gord Sinclair, um, have, you know, kind of dedicated outlets going on right now. And, and John's always, uh, playing along with something and and it's interesting how you know some of it you're like the stuff on on guess what is very clearly in the same vein as as the hip um, some of the stuff the other guys are playing is maybe more so less so how do you kind of struggle or maybe not struggle but but manage that line where you get to say no, like I was a part of that. That's why it sounded like that in the first place. That's what I sound like and saying, this is something different and I'm going to try and flex a different muscle. Where's, where's that line and how do you, how do you manage that? You know, I, I, I think, um, you know, it's a good question because, um, it's something, especially after the fact, you know, when people listen and friends of mine, you know, just like, Oh, this, this one really sounds like the hip could have done it or, you know, that one's not like the hip. And um, uh, I don't look for the line. I, I think I just, um, 
I write lyrics and melody uh, with uh, almost almost nothing uh, guiding me, and um, it's kind of the nature of songwriting. It's a, it's a mystery. Bob Dylan can describe it to you. You know, it's just a mystery, and it comes or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, and you're trying to work it and make it better. A lot of times that's a dead horse and you shouldn't be beating it. And, um, you know, anyway, so the ideas kind of come to you the way you sing, the way you hum, that kind of thing for me. Um, so, yeah, like you said, um, it's going to be any songs I write are going to have a little bit of hip in there because that's how I play. Like, I, I can't... Um, as many people out there would comment, I'm sure. Um, I can't play out of my limits. Um, and that's how I carved out my role in the band, is that I didn't make mistakes. I mean, I kept my parts simple. And I was trying to fit in between Robbie, who's, he may be offended, but a bit of a noodler and a bit of a lead guitar player he would say no no i'm a rhythm guitar player but it's like i was rhythm and so i was just really trying to stick with johnny and gord sinclair the rhythm section and just um keep it simple and um so that seems to be my tendency in general just because i did it for so many years to just sort of keep it very uh simple and you know throw tricks in there but even hide the tricks so people don't know they're there. You know, we used to call that tricky trick, you know. And for some reason, I uh, I don't know what I was doing the other day, but it, uh, uh, it was a video maybe for Instagram. Because uh, now you got to do a bit of social media and that stuff. And uh, pick a song from Phantom Power that was underrated. And I picked Emperor Penguin, which is the last song on that record. And I just, I, and I mentioned a tricky trick. That's what we used to call it because um, we always loved when there was a trick that you can't pick out. So an Emperor Penguin, I didn't explain it in this detail in the uh, whatever it was, Instagram post or whatever, but, um, you know, it starts, uh, okay, the, the four chords, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. This is all progression maybe four times and then it goes two three four one two three four one like it's just kind of these little things that we actually would take such satisfaction about because we'd all we could all spot a little trick that a guy had put in there like oh wait a minute okay and anyway so um <clears throat> i kind of more focus on uh, trying to do that kind of thing. And then I just leave my guitar playing to itself. And, you know, Gordon and I sang a lot, a lot together through high school and and various weird, not ever in a band, but we were just so connected that, of course, it makes sense that I may sound like him the odd time, depending on the key and the and the notes and that kind of thing. And um, but that's what you that's what happens when you're when you're brothers. Oh, absolutely. And that was, you know, I, I'd watched you guys when we were younger and other roadside attraction and stuff like that. Um, but maybe I wasn't in the um, state of mind to notice the nuances as I was um, in, in 2016 
when you guys had your last tour and I, I caught you guys here in Calgary and um, a good friend of mine, we walked away and we were just like, um, the, the, the secret to so many of those songs is Paul's backing vocals and you just um, don't understand it until you see it all live and you watch it all happen in real time. And I mean, you barely need a noodler doing all the little things that Gord was doing with his voice. And you know what I mean? It almost, if you had too much going on, it detracts from the overall subtleness that so many of those songs brought. And I think that um, the, the, the ability to just kind of recognize that there's those little changes, those tricky tricks, as you call them, uh, that's part of the magic. I think that's and and that's like why, a song can sound a little bit like the hip if it's from the Paul Langlois band, but it's never going to be right. It's just, it's a different beast altogether. And, and, and that's okay because it doesn't have to be the hip all over again. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't want it to be, um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we sprinkle, uh, the odd hip tune in the sets. And I know Gord Sinclair did that when he toured this summer as well, uh, with his band. And yeah, you know, the more it sounds like the hip, if we're sort of jamming a song like Grace Two or, or um, you know, Bob Cajun or whatever, um, the less likely I'm gonna want to put it in the set because it's it's kind of like I don't want to be the hip. I was in the hip, so I don't need I don't need that and. But to play hip songs is, um, it's a, um, you know, it's an act of respect. And obviously, it's common sense that the crowd's going to like it if you play Weed Kings. They're not going to be like, oh, this is, this is weird. He's playing Weed Kings, you know. It's like, no, they're going to, you know. They're going to say he's in the band and so he should, and he's keeping the music alive somehow and, and somewhat. And so, um, but it's a, yeah, it's a different little thing, sort of what hip songs to play and uh, how many to play. I kind of would play um, probably, I would guess three out of 15. So maybe a fifth. And uh, yeah, it's it's nice to have a touchstone to go to. That's a huge advantage for <laughs> for you know turning on the crowd if you can pull out, um, you know, escape as a hand or you know yeah. any, any sort of songs. It's kind of like okay, this is fun, this is neat, and the crowd knows knows the song. Yeah, and so um, yeah, it's an interesting little thing. Um, and I don't know how, honestly, how Robbie or Johnny would feel about it. I talked to Sinclair about it because he was doing it to her, and I noticed that he was doing a few hip songs. I would see him in Kingston, he and his band, at the beginning of summer. And I was like, so, you know, do you feel weird? Applying? We're good buddies. Um, playing hip songs? He's like, not at all. I was in the band. I helped write those songs. And I was like, okay, cool. And I had, because I hadn't started doing my gigs yet and uh i was like yeah i like that attitude i'm gonna play a couple too <laughs> that's the right answer yeah it's it's funny how um comedians you know they they do their special they play their jokes and and that's it it's done and the next time they go out 
they have to come up with new material but with musicians it seems like um lots of times the crowd just wants to hear the same hits over and over again they want to remember how they felt the first time they heard blow it high joe or 50 mission cap and and they're not interested as much in the new stuff and you have such an uphill to climb and you like you know bill burr he just he he goes out he does his jokes he puts out his netflix special and those jokes are gone and he can't do them again he's not going to make a career retelling those same jokes but for for a musician who's got all these laurels that he could rest on and doesn't want to it's almost the complete opposite yeah and that's uh, it's a great point you're making because uh, i was just thinking as you were talking just like it's true like um there's something different about music like say a novelist you know um our daughter went to see one of um my favorite writers a guy from sweden frederick bachman he wrote a couple of books about hockey and uh, um it's all translated stuff anyways great and she went to see him outside toronto somewhere and i'm sure it was cool but he's reading from a book that the people mostly in the crowd have read before and it hey it's cool one time to hear him recite the book but there's something different about music like different from acting too because if you sort of did a tour and you played uh you know big scenes in a movie the godfather whatever you know to put on those like you'd want to be doing something different but there's something about music that um triggers um a mysterious feeling that you can play it again so whenever we played 50 mission cap you know we probably had to convince gord to do it because he'd be like, ah, I don't want to play that one. You know, it's just like, no, listen, we're in Toronto. We're at the Maple Leaf Gardens. We got it. We should play it. And um, people, yeah, they're looking for that feeling they used to have, but they get it again. That's that's the nature of music is like you get it again. If you go see the Stones and, and uh, you love like Wild Horses or Tumbling Dice or whatever, when they play it, yeah you're getting the old feeling but you're getting the new feeling too just remembering this is why i love this fucking song so yeah. uh there is something magic about music that that i i feel incredibly lucky to um be able to do it somewhat yeah my uh my next door neighbor is the biggest iron maiden fan i know um, i'm not a not a big iron maiden guy but i can appreciate them and that's when they put out a new album they're pretty upfront that they're pushing that album and you're going to hear you yeah. know 80 of that album and they're going to fill in some other stuff and then three years later they'll come back to your city and then they'll play the hits and if you if you only want to hear run to the hills you should probably figure out which concert you're going to go to right <laughs> i've always loved their attitude um I, again, I'm not a big Iron Maiden guy, but um, they—I think they've always had a great, great attitude. And um, yeah, it's funny, you know. And we did that somewhat too, you know. We tried to change it up. We changed it every night. Uh, we never played the same show twice, and um, we had to throw those tunes in there, like Courage. You know, what are we yeah. not going to play? Courage. Uh, we're not going to play ahead by a century. What? You know, New Orleans is sinking. I mean, it was just kind of like there were songs, Bullet High Doe, Little Bones. Um, 
that we just felt like it would be stupid not to play these songs. And we, we, there was still, there was always life in all those songs, like a life that we enjoyed. I mean, New Orleans Sinking is probably the one song we played more than any other. And after we wrote it and recorded it, I don't know that we ever played a gig without doing it, unless it was like just a little short gig or something, but a regular show, of course we're gonna play that. And and we never got bored of it. We stopped playing the songs that were boring us. Yeah. And um, fortunately there weren't that many, but um, you know, as far as playing the hits, we would be firmly on the side of, yeah, you should do it. And if you're going to do a tour like Iron Maiden and not, you know, it's all focused on the new record. Okay. Fair enough. But next time you come back, you gotta, you gotta play some hits for the people. I want to ask you about a couple of the songs on the new album. Um, first of all, I want to ask you about Peels is sleep backwards. I, I think is what the name of the, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting title. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting song. I'm just curious what the, it doesn't really, uh, it's not self-explanatory maybe, or maybe it's just over my head. I'm curious about that song. It's not over your head at all. Um, no, I just realized one night <laughs> sitting out here, I'm on my back deck right now. And it just hit me that peels and sleep backwards, you know, it was just kind of like, Oh, okay. So I wrote it down. And then in turn, at the same time, I was working on this song that I wanted to be kind of punkish and, and really fast. And um, so Peels Asleep Backwards has nothing to do with the content of the song. And I, I just, I never got around to changing the title. So it, it just, his title has nothing to do with the content. And the content I don't, don't even know about. You know, it was that song was supposed to be significantly slower. Um, and I told the guys as we were recording, I'm like, especially Bill Anglin, our drummer, hey, listen, you know, maybe we just slow this down a bit. And, you know, I think he sped it up. And <laughs> um, so it's really super fast. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, I'm just giving advice to some guy who's just become a Hollywood star and he's going to spas instead of, you know, working on his, like he's, he's celebrating too early. So he's getting all these treatments like his nose picked and his toes clipped and, you know, and, and, um, he's not doing it the right way. So I'm saying, just watch me and I'll show you how to do it. But it was uh, just a silly song and, uh, but it's fun to play. Everyone loves it playing it <laughs> yeah it's a great listen it's a, it's a fun one um the other one i want to i want to ask you about and and i i have my ideas but I, i'd like to i'd like to hear how it came about is don't leave me brother mm. yeah that was um you know i haven't focused on that at all um that was really the first song after the two, I kind of had like the opener, It Matters to Me, and um, there's another song in there that I had like half a song written. So I, I felt like I was ahead of the game. But then I went in the studio, just me again, um, with our engineer now, different engineer than uh, Fix His Head. 
but um and i swore i wouldn't write a song about gord like i gotta you know he he had died a good probably year and a half before that and um and then i was desperate like i was like niles is uh, the engineer's name and niles i need just leave me for an hour in the kitchen i'm going to come up with something uh, because i showed up there not prepared which was really i was very disappointed in myself and it was just kind of like fuck, i'm not even ready to record even one song and and then it just all came to me um my kind of um after gord's brain surgeries you know just as uh, my reintroduction we talked on the phone like over that was a three-month period um a few times but he wasn't himself and um and then his brother pat who was looking after him um said you should come you should come uh this week like maybe thursday and i was like really you think that'd be okay and, yeah you should come just just come on up come up for tonight and you know so th there's a part in that song where i walked in and it was a snowstorm and i was kind of nervous even though it's my best buddy and he was like his beard was massive and you know and he was just he loved seeing me and we hugged and of course we had to fucking watch a bruins game <laughs> that's all the downies do and um so sat there and watched the bruins game and gord was really happy and then the next morning you know i stayed over and the next morning i thought i was leaving and gord was like are, are you are you gonna stay here and i was like oh um I don't know. Like, what do you think? He's like, I want you to stay here. And so I ended up staying for months, months. And, and that's how the tour happened. You know, that was kind of, we announced a tour in mid May that year, um, 2016. And this was in February, early February. So I just stayed with them and went to all the radiation, all that kind of thing. So the song isn't specifically except that little part uh well i shouldn't say that yeah that's what it's about um it's about my experience with um sickness and grief and death because i've been very lucky not to have any experience with that uh parents were both alive at the time you know i hadn't lost a brother or sister or even a really good friend um and it was gourd um was my introduction to how heavy it is and how heavy it can be and then i you know musically i was trying to write a metal song you know just something a, a little kind of metalish right <laughs> what a what a gift that is though to have that outlet to to put something like that down um you know even if it never got released uh, to be able to to flesh through something like that in a manner like that, to have the ability to put that down uh, and and express that, I, I can't help. I, I listen back. I listen to it. Um, I, you know, I, I thought I had a pretty good idea what it was about, but but I have my own parts of my life that I think about that, and uh, I just don't have that ability to 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 do that. Um, mm. And I, 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 you know think that that's a very uh you know 
cool thing that you're able to pull all that together and then to have the avenue to have these great musicians work with you to flesh it out and, and make it into something you want to release uh, that's you know from the outside looking in paul that that's looks like a real gift well i appreciate that and and i should i do but i should look at it that way more often now i've never told that to anyone just so you know um I have been asked for uh, about it a couple times, and I'm like, yeah, I had a little something to do with Gore, but not, you know, not a lot. And and really, I think I was trying to um, include everybody, you know, include uh, kind of what it's like to um, be around someone who's just been given the news, and you know, cancer's the, the most obvious, but just kind of, you know. Um, so I was trying to make it a bit more universal, but I was using my personal experience um, to um, describe what I went through and and how he was so fucking dignified about it all. And, and um, yeah, I never complained once. And, and um, so I agree, it is a gift. And, and um, it's a gift to me that I was able to do it in a desperate situation because I didn't have a song. I didn't have a song. So I just sat at the kitchen table and was like, you don't have a song. And you're at the studio, you know, and you've kind of, not that we rented out, but, you know, you're taking up a fucking day and a night of a studio and you've shown up here without a song. Like it was just like, I was so pissed off. And then uh, desperation, um, really works for me if i'm desperate that's when i can write a song if i'm not desperate oh my god the shit i write is brutal <laughs> <laughs> well now you you know that so now you, you're able to put yourself in a position to do your best work right exactly exactly <laughs> i want to uh i want to be very respectful of your time um the the way i typically end the pod is i ask the guest you know when you were starting out in your first act, you obviously had a vision of success and you had an idea. And throughout uh, the the course of, of the first act and into the second act, obviously the vision of success, the, the true kind of idea of it morphs and changes. Um, at this point with the Paul Langlois band, after everything that you've encountered, what, what is success to you today? What does it look like? Well, um i would say it's it's two-pronged but I'll, I'll go back to the beginning of your question and comments like when i joined the hip my dad is awesome and still with us which is great um he was like you know i was 21 and i'd been to one year university dropped out uh for second year backed out um He's like, you're joining a band? Uh, yep, yep, I'm joining. The, the, they've actually been together a year and a half. They're really good. It's Gord. Gord Downey's a singer, and my dad knew Gord. Um, and he's like, okay, but you got a backup plan? And I was like, don't think I'm going to need one. Like, these guys are just so good. Um, I think this is going to go. And he's like, okay, well, okay. Um, but, you know, you just keep in mind the backup plan. Anyway, it was, you know, the first four to six years weren't 
all that successful, but we were sort of, we could feel that we were developing a crowd. We didn't have a record yet, you know, and, um, but, but we were touring and going across Canada. And anyway, so, um, so I did have a good vision, um, that this was going to work out. I just knew that it was the right people, right guys. And, um, so anyway, but I say it's two-pronged because success, if I had to do anything, um, the success in my life is that I'm happily married and I have two beautiful daughters. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. And, and I think, um, like literally anything, nor would anyone else in the band. I mean, Gord Downey had four kids. He has four kids. Um, so that is non-negotiable that's the the favorite thing and that i did well by them and yes i wasn't home all the time it's not as easy as people think um i heard gore downey say that once i think it was he did an interview with peter Mansbridge that i advised him not to do <laughs> after he was after the tour and he just did a beautiful job but it's like you know, it's not as easy as it looks. Um, yeah, you're in a band. It's all great. But you're you're leaving the kids every time and your wife and, and your life partner or whatever. And um, so that's by far my biggest achievement. Um, as far as success musically, I mean, I, I hit the jackpot and um, I enjoyed all of it. We were all just very good to each other, nice to each other. And we all really enjoyed it and wanted to move forward and was very creative and awesome. We played so many, so many fun shows. And as you said, roadside attraction, I mean, even roadside attraction, like we did three of them. And it's, it's like, whenever it comes up, I think about it and just think, wow, that was amazing. And you know, it was a bit of a trick to get all these great big bands to open for us. You know, it was kind of like, <laughs> you know, Midnight Oil, they'd never heard of us. It was the same with Ziggy Marley. You know, all these bands, it's kind of like, what? We're going to do this tour and get paid well, and but we're opening for who? Tragically, <laughs> what? Um, so, you know, that was just uh, totally blessed to, to um, have all of it. And now, success... It doesn't. Um, it doesn't weigh on me. Uh, I mean, very lucky with Paul Angwa Ben. I don't have big expectations. Whatever you know, like I'm 59 years old. It's kind of like I just want to do it to have fun, and I think that's an, also an idea of success. Is like you know, just doing things that make you feel good or even more importantly make other people feel good i mean that's that's kind of the goal it seems to me the second act podcast would like to thank ben sound for the intro and outro music happy rock we would also like to thank you for listening if you enjoyed the podcast please like subscribe and give us any feedback you can thanks for listening